0: Welcome to the Film for Fans podcast, your home for movie news, reviews, and movie fan views. This is the podcast from movie fans for movie fans. I am your host, Ryan Dunleavy, and I'm joined by my co-host, Rob Dunham.
1: This is absolutely the start of the podcast.
0: Absolutely. And we will be joined later by a special guest. Lauren Klein will be joining us. And we have a great show and which Lauren will be helping us talk about book-to-movie adaptations. We're also going to review the box office, both the past week performance and what's coming up this week, and we'll conclude with our watch list. All right, Rob, you ready?
1: I'm ready to talk only about comic books for the entire book-to-movie adaptation segment.
0: (laughs) Indeed. (laughs) All right. So let's get started with a little box office news. Uh, Last week in the box office, first week in the box office for several movies actually, and the champion of the box office is Jungle Cruise. Yes, Jungle Cruise makes its debut at number one, turning in 34.1 million. It was uh, debuted in 4,300 locations. It also did 27.6 million internationally, and about 30 million on Disney Plus preferred access streaming. So Jungle Cruise taking the cake. Um, I'm not surprised it was number one. I actually got to see this this weekend and the theater was packed. So it was good to see a packed theater and lots of different audiences. Um, we had There's a there was a group of like, um, I want to say late 50s, early 60s group group. Uh, all having an outing together. There was parents with kids. Um, There was myself and another couple who were there. It was, uh, so it was a very diverse crowd in terms of uh, age ranges. So obviously a lot of people felt appealing for appeal for this movie. So all told it made a a little over $90 million for the weekend. Um, The second place coming in was The Green Knight who also debuted this past week and it found its way to second with 6.78 million dollars old came in third at 6.75 black widow was fourth at 6.4 million so rob what did you make of jungle cruise taking the box office
1: i am completely unsurprised that jungle cruise sailed at a smooth and steady pace to the top spot maybe there's another word for that uh (laughs) (laughs) Oh gosh! <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, th- there's no surprise anymore when it comes to Dwayne Johnson. Yeah, when I mean, you say that, mm-hmm. Dwayne Johnson's in your movie, you're gonna make money. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think the mo- the most surprising thing about that 90 million number is that a third of it was streaming from Disney, mm-hmm. uh, all access, the premium access. Thirty million dollars of that amount was from there. Yeah, which is a uh, it's it's very interesting and makes me wonder and hope for the their lives of the Disney executives who uh, bankrolled this movie and others in the future like actually redid the contracts with the people who are in them. <laughs> because not only did Scarlett Johansson sue them, um, Emma Stone also did mm-hmm. because of the same kind of issues when it came to Corella. So Hopefully they figured that out and are rapidly rewriting every contract that they wrote with these people, because it's just gonna keep happening if they don't address these issues. And they definitely do not want that to be a big story. <laughs> I know that's that's for sure.
0: Yeah. And most likely anything that gets caught that cost them for losing a suit would have uh, easily been taken care of at a lesser expense than they just redone some contracts. I'm yeah. sure that's the case. Yeah, but it is interesting because we've now had two relatively big movies where the streaming was close to the box office numbers. So there's two ways to look at that. One is the box office is actually really still able to keep up and go uh, somewhat above uh, the streaming numbers despite, you know, despite still being uh, lots of coronavirus scare. Um, the other way to look at it is how much are they costing themselves in tickets by having that easy access streaming immediately with. If you, yeah. you
1: sell one million copies of the video at thirty dollars a piece, you get to thirty million. But how many people are watching each of those one million? Yeah, you know that. Then that's where the thirty dollar price tag doesn't seem quite sufficient when you consider that six people might be watching it mm-hmm. well at the same time. But I. I think that probably that $30 is about the max you could charge <laughs> in that model. I don't think people would pay more than that.
2: No, I agree. I... Um,
1: but people justify it because they say it's cheaper than buying three movie tickets. Mm-hmm. You know, family's going to watch it, but that's where they're going to lose money that way. So the question, as we have re- stated repeatedly, is how are they going to balance those?
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But uh, the number, uh, to put it into context, uh, everyone was pleased with the number that the Jungle Cruise did. Uh, they were pleased with where it came out. They thought it did a little bit better than they were anticipating. So that continues to bode well for the cape, for the state of movies. And, and I think that that's continuing to improve. And I think the, the industry is at, at very least beginning to stabilize a little bit. And I think that was shown by the fact that there were several movies who debuted over the last couple of weeks um, that I haven't gotten to see. There are actual movies out there that I've wanted to see and have not had time to go see all of them. It's been a long time since I could say that that was the case. Yeah. and. And that's, that's great. I, I love that that's the case. If I want to go to a movie tonight, I can go to a movie tonight and there'd be multiple options of what I want to see. That's, that's more back to where I'm, I'm expecting back more towards normal. Uh, so movies that are still out in theaters, Green Knight, Stillwater, Old, Snake Eyes, And if you still haven't caught Fast and Furious or Black Widow, they're still out there as well, depending on which theater you get to. So you got plenty of options. And we're going to add a new one this week. Yes, the big release coming out this week is The Suicide Squad. And we have mentioned The Suicide Squad a number of times, but finally it's out. It's going to make its debut. So I thought one way to tackle this for us, since this is really the only major release this week, is... What would have to happen for you in order for this movie to be good, for you to enjoy it, for you to say, hey, I went and saw Suicide Squad and it was good. What What do you think would have to happen?
1: Uh, the dialogue and interplay between the characters has to feel natural. Mm. Not forced, not stilted, not lame. <laughs> yeah. Which I think the first, one, the first attempt at this struggled with. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, there's potential for it to be better with James Gunn, so
0: we'll see. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for me, I think the balance of action and humor. This is one thing that James Gunn did fantastically well with Guardians of the Galaxy. That injection of humor, what made that movie was the use of humor in smart, fun, entertaining ways balanced out by the action. I know they're gonna try to do the same thing with Suicide Squad, but we also know it's gonna be significantly more violent. Now, the question is, can they balance that humor and violence well? I, I think about the scene from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the, the flamethrower scene. <laughs> and it was so unbelievably, that house break-in scene, the whole, that whole scene is unbelievably violent and I could not stop laughing just how they set it up and how it went. It was the perfect balance of extreme violence and humor. And if Suicide Squad can pull off anything somewhat close to that, I think it can be successful.
1: Yeah, that's definitely a major part to watch out for.
0: Yeah. So we'll see. I mean, I I don't say that I have a ton of confidence in it, uh, but it's one of those things too, where If another director fails with the suicide squad and that's multiple failures, we might be approaching Fantastic Four territory in which it Mm -hmm. becomes a property that nobody wants to touch anymore because nobody can make it work. And maybe that's the case, we'll see. Okay. And now on to our discussion segment for tonight. And to help us with our discussion, we're bringing in a special guest, Lauren Klein. Welcome Lauren. Hi. Hi Lauren. Hi. Lauren is a vociferous reader of fiction and biographies and so she will be here because our discussion topic for today is movie book to movie adaptations. Yes, we're going to talk to book to movie adaptations. Perhaps the best source of movies there is originate from books. But they Some of them are really good. Some of them are not so good. And we're gonna talk about why. And then we're gonna give some of our favorite adaptations. So let's start with this. Lots and lots of movies are adapted from books. And sometimes it goes well and sometimes it doesn't. So let's start with this question. What makes it hard to adapt a book to a movie? What makes it hard? So let's start with our special guest. Lauren, Lauren, what are your thoughts?
3: Um, I think it's really hard because, especially for me, people love books yes. and they have this real emotional response to them and they just love the characters and the settings that they're forming in their heads. And so they're visualizing all these things. So when a movie doesn't deliver those things that you had in your head, sometimes it can just be really disappointing. Um, so it's definitely challenging to like nail the characters and the, the dialogues and just all those like big pivotal scenes from a book um, and then just
1: bringing that to life I think can be really hard.
0: Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Rob, what do you think?
1: I think people think when it comes to writing a screenplay dialogue is a simple thing to do. <laughs> but when you're adapting a book, it's not as simple Lauren touched on this already, but a writer will often give context clues about how the person speaking is feeling or maybe a dialogue that's going on inside their own head before they speak. And those kind of things are very difficult to portray on a screen because you can have a whole paragraph about what the person was thinking and then you have the actual speaking. Yeah. (laughs) And the actor has to convey like all of that along with the lines, it's not an easy thing to do. And I'm actually reading uh, the newest Stephen King novel. And Mm -hmm. when I read him, I think about that because he gives so much exposition about, he was thinking this and he was really thinking this or a description of the speaker's state of mind before he even utters a word. And those things are just incredibly difficult to portray and that's why people who win Oscars win Oscars because they can yeah. portray yeah. emotion and background thoughts on uh-huh. how they say a line.
0: Yeah, it puts a lot more weight on, on the setting, on the actor, on um, the surrounding characters, on everything else, because what a writer has the opportunity to tell you in a few paragraphs, a, a screenplay, or a movie has to tell you in a line with a look and a mood with a soundtrack to the back and all of that has to align. So in some ways writing is easier. I think the other, the other aspect of that is there is a much bigger time constraint with movies. You know, you know for the most part, you have between an hour and a half and two and a half hours on the max end to tell yeah. your story whereas an author can tell it in however many pages they want usually right. there's some kind of limit on that unless you're Stephen King um, or if you've if you've read 1120 uh, what is it 1120 63 isn't it yeah it's a super long book <laughs> it's a super yeah. long book. it's like 600 pages yeah uh, but most books you know Two or 300 pages so they have as much time as they want to lay out the story to tell you exactly what they're doing to give you all the background information and you just simply do not have that kind of time when it comes to a movie
3: yeah true
0: yeah and that those are just some of the challenges um plus when an author's working you know he's dealing with basically his own thoughts and his own heads and and then an editor so then you get editors come in and they the editing process and there's feedback between that. There's a lot more people involved when you're talking about a movie, more than just the screenwriters. Uh, there's a lot more people involved.
3: And I think you can always tell when the author has worked with the screenwriters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that they oftentimes turn out better when you <laughs> have the author's input.
0: This is true. This is true. Um, and I think some of this will hit when we go to a further question, but, uh, having to most of the a lot of times the screenwriter is different than the author of the book. Occasionally, occasionally the author will do the screenplay, but usually even if they're working with them, it'll be somebody else doing the screenwriting yeah. and to have them have the same vision is difficult. To have them being on the same page and the same vision when something is coming out of someone else's imagination is hard. Yeah. So if that's the challenge is what what makes them good? When it's done well, what makes book adaptations good? Rob, let's start with you on this one.
1: I think the biggest advantage that the visual medium has is that it's visual Mm. i mean i know that sounds super simple but (laughs) you can take what is written about a setting and bring it to life and i think that can be a challenge sometimes because people have a certain idea in their heads about what they want it to look like but when you do it well and what i when i think about this i think about we talked about this recently the settings in lord of the rings movies Mm that they shot all the locations for and did all the scouting for. When you set those locations right and really bring the story to life, it can be something that enhances the experience of reading the book, which is not always the case, but it's definitely possible. And I think just having the ability to give life and breath to a lot of the words that are written down to make them jump off off the page and belong not just in imagination, but in front of you is something that when, a, when an adaptation is done well, you see very clearly.
0: Mm. Yeah, no, that's good. What do you got, Lauren?
3: Uh, I think for me, the two big things are casting, mm-hmm. um, having the actors and actresses look, or maybe not even look, but just emulate the characters uh, really well. And sticking to the original plot, I hate when there's <laughs> some sort of like plot uh-huh. twist or different ending, like it has to be what it was in the book.
0: <laughs> even if, does that include even if you don't love the ending to the book?
3: Yes, actually that is a point I will bring up under my favorites. Okay. There was a really good one that I didn't like the ending of the book, but I really wanted the movie to have that same ending.
0: Oh, that's interesting because I I might bring up, because you're doing that, I might bring up one where I have a counter to that one. That should be fun.
3: Okay.
2: Okay. Okay.
0: Yeah. No, that's good. It has to have the same ending. Okay.
2: Yeah.
0: Oh, excellent. Excellent. I think for me, a couple of things that when they do when it's done well, what they do is they're able to take the heart and the soul of the characters themselves and allow those things to stand out. I think that's one of the keys because you're going to have to cut scenes or you're going to have to cut dialogue or you're going to have to cut somewhere because you're not going to be able to tell the whole story. Do you have a proper understanding of who the characters are that you can make that come out in the scenes that you keep? Um, I think a, uh, a good example of this is The Martian. Uh, where the book is super technical. And there's Mm -hmm. lots and lots of science. But one thing they understood in the movie about the character was the humor and the wit and the persona of that character. And it allows it to come and shine way through, especially when they don't go nearly into as much of the science as they do in the book. So being able to take the heart and soul of the character and be able to display that on screen, I think is a huge success when it's able able to be done right. Yeah. I think uh, another one for me is that uh, that it the movie understands what was critical and what isn't in terms of what to keep and what to what to drop. Uh, what are the strong points of the book and what might be weak points of the book? Um, I was just thinking about this: um, the Harry Potter series. Uh, they leave out the character of Peeves, and in the books. Peeves shows up regularly and it's just kind of annoying. <laughs> and he just kind of does little things and is annoying. But he's my pet peeves. <laughs> he doesn't. And what they basically decided with the movies is he's not essential. Like mm-hmm. He doesn't play any role. He's not essential. This is something we can cut without having to lose anything that's going to relate to the story, the character, or the overall feel. Now, had they left all the ghosts out, that would have made a difference, but they selectively chose that this is one that we're going to leave out.
1: I mean, plus they kept emo Ron um, throughout <laughs> all the movies, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Watching the movies again, I was like, Ron would fit really well in like a late 90s, early 2000s post-hardcore <laughs> band. <laughs> like uh, with the scene where they're in the tent and he leaves all upset about the amulet thing, I was like, Ron is just about to write the most fire breakup album of all time.
0: (laughs) Indeed. (laughs) So, okay, if that's what, when they go right, what happens when it goes bad? What happens when it goes bad?
3: I think like the opposite of what I said for it to be good. (laughs) The casting is off. Um, they have changed the original plot or have just have made changes that don't fit or
1: mm-hmm.
3: don't keep with the theme of the book, and it's not good.
1: Yeah. Like, like you said, Ryan, is they cut the things that were essential and leave the things that weren't.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> that can definitely be a difficulty. And that is a skill because no matter how much you want to faithfully adapt a book to a movie you're not going to be able to transfer 300 to 500 pages of material into an hour and a half no it's just not going to happen so there has to be decisions made and sometimes they're not the best ones
0: yeah um i think you know both of you guys have mentioned it but like changing the entire substance of the book is is a no (laughs) that's a no changing too much and I think I think of like Ready Player One is a good example. Um, taken on itself, it's not a terrible movie. Taken for anyone who actually read the book, it's not the same story at all. <laughs> it's not at all. And I and even though Stephen uh, or even though the um, oh, what was going to say? Even though the author was involved in in the. Uh, screenplay it just you change so much and you change the entire nature of it it doesn't work and i think another one is uh when the when the the director or the adapter doesn't understand why people love the book Mm
2: -hmm. i think
0: that's a that's one thing that really makes it go bad because the director may have an understanding of what he likes about it, or maybe he was just given the project and he just works on adapting it. But I think it's essential to understand why people love the book, because you don't adapt books that nobody read and that nobody likes. So obviously this book already has a big enough fan base. Why did the fans like it? If you understand that, you can get it. But when a director doesn't, it it becomes plainly obvious that they don't get it. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. All right. So now that we've talked about our book adaptations, let's talk about some of our favorite ones. Now, there's a huge list to choose from, so this is pretty expansive. So let's uh, let's just kind of we'll, let's go around in a circle. Let's all give one, and then we'll we'll, we'll swing back around a couple times. Uh, so, Rob, why don't you start?
1: I mean, mine's, I guess, cheating, because it's not technically a full book, but I can't <laughs> not mention my favorite movie of all time, because I didn't mention it in any discussion we have, because it's my favorite movie of all time, and it's the best movie ever made. Uh, Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption.
0: Uh-huh, I knew you were going there.
1: The basis of the Shawshank Redemption, in case you didn't know.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But that was a short story by Stephen King, not an actual full novel, and what impresses me so much about that is how they were able to extrapolate the entire story they did out of that short story because um it's not an easy thing to do and mm-hmm. uh he he appreciated what they did with it and sometimes authors really don't like what people <laughs> do with their books or short stories um and i just love i love the tension interplay between the characters in the movie and it's just a broadening of the horizons of the short story. And I think it's really just phenomenal. And I could talk about the Shawshank Redemption for every podcast ever until the <laughs> end of time. But this is not the Shawshank Redemption podcast. So somebody else talk about it for a book.
0: All right, go ahead, Lauren.
3: <laughs> uh, well, my all-time favorite book um, is Life of Pi, which I have here
0: for everyone mm. watching. Oh, visual uh, aids, love it.
3: Yes, so Life of Pi is my favorite book. So when I heard it was going to be a movie, I was a little worried about it, just how it's going to go. But I thought it was really well done. Um, the cinematography was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it won uh, an Oscar for, or it won some, it won, it won awards for its cinematography. Um, and I know the director won some awards. Um, I just thought it stuck to the plot. It, it really nailed some of the key dialogue that I really loved. Um, I think one of the things I loved about the book was that um, the main character, Pi, he was such a deep thinker and he had all these thoughts in his mind and um, they were able to still get those across, even though, like you said, that can be challenging to take what a character's thinking and everything and having it show on screen. Um, So anyway, I thought that was super well done.
0: Excellent. I am going to one that I mentioned earlier and I'm going to re-highlight is The Martian. And one of the things I loved about The Martian, you know, on top of them being able to, to really, really translate his character well, is whenever you're reading a book, and this particularly applies to space, but it applies to all books, um, you want to have an idea of what would it be, what would it actually be like to be there, to see that. And so to be able to see Mars, to be able to see Mars and and to to look at it and, and the vast landscapes of another planet, just took a book and really, really gave it the visual element that you can't get when you're, when you're reading. And so that adaptation was excellent. And I think they made excellent choices as to what they kept and what they didn't keep, um, including they did a slight tweak on the ending to that one. And I love what they did with the ending on that one. Now, that was not the one I originally was going to say, but in the in the in the book version, he kind of becomes like a recluse who is who's completely socially awkward and isn't sure if he wants to do anything ever again, and just sits around his house. <laughs> in the movie, he becomes a teacher, and I just I think it's a more satisfying ending, even though that is not the exact ending in the book.
3: Matt Damon was good in that
1: role too.
0: He really was. He really he was, was good. All right, round two, what you got, Rob?
1: Uh, We mentioned it earlier, but the Harry Potter series for me is impressive just because of the breadth of work that was put into it. Um, Using the same core of actors throughout all the movies was definitely helpful in that. And I think the thing that makes it a good adaptation is that it keeps the spirit... Of the books. Now, there are obviously a lot of things that you can't include in the movies because there's so much source material. But the spirit of just a fantastical world is really uh, displayed on the screen and translated really well. Um, I also enjoy in the movies how you feel the stakes and the emotional. And physical weight of what's going on grow with each movie,
2: mm-hmm.
1: just like in the books, the kids are growing up. In, in the movies, you see that even more. And I think it's very interesting tonally how they shift over the course of the seven plus one movies. If you want to call it eight, seven is <laughs> two parts, but just the stakes just keep getting raised every single one. Mm-hmm. And there's real weight to it, and real gravity to it. And I think that it did a tremendous service to JK Rowling's work and displaying what she was trying to have come across as far as tone and just this other crazy world that these kids are involved in that's still set within a real world. Mm-hmm. And I just think it was done superbly.
0: Yeah.
3: They were they were really well done.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Lauren, what you got? Uh,
3: well, the one that we kind of alluded to earlier, Gone Girl,
0: from mm.
3: oh, that was um, 2014, that was made into a movie. Um, ben Affleck and Rosamund Pike as the main characters. I think they were really great choices. Um, that was the first time I had really paid attention to Rosamund Pike. I don't know if I'd seen her in something before, but I really liked her. I mm-hmm. thought she played Amy really well. Um, and that was the, when I read the book, I didn't like the ending at all. I could not believe that they would end up together or <laughs> like stay together. Um, but I just like movies to follow the book. So I wanted mm-hmm. it to end that way as well. So I was glad that it did.
0: Yeah, I really, really like that movie. And I, I, I agree. I think the, the changes they've made actually enhanced and, and worked better visually. Yeah. In, in the book. And so they made great choices with that one. And Rosamund Pike is a fantastic, fantastic actress. I do like yes. her in almost everything I've seen of her. Yeah. And I thought the feel of the movie, it really captured it really captured the feel and the emotion of it. Yeah. So, yeah. Really well done. Um, my next one is going to be, um, since you said that, I will say Inferno. And because this is the one that I was, I was going to say they changed the ending in Inferno. This is the based on the Dan Brown novel. Now the Dan, the the premise of Inferno, we've talked about it once or twice on the podcast, um, is basically a, the bad guy has a Malthusian um, mindset, which is basically the world is just going to keep on populating over and, over and over and over and over again until there's so few resources, and then we're all just going to die. Um, and that's based on a theory from a guy named Malthus. And in the book, they basically like, well, yeah, we know this is true. And uh, the virus gets out and everyone gets infected. And they're still like, okay, huh, I guess that was the right thing to do. We're all gonna die anyway. So, okay, no no biggie. And first of all, Malthusian theory has been completely debunked. That's not gonna happen. And and the, the book just takes it as an absolute certainty. Secondly, like. What was the point of the book? <laughs> if, if that was your attitude, what was the point of the book? So the movie actually changes it to a more movie ending where they, you know they actually go through and they stop the virus from being released. I thought it, I thought it changed what was a major flaw in the book. So, but it did not stick with the original ending. So, yeah, I'm not as hardcore about it as you are. <laughs> uh, one one
1: I'd like to mention that like massively changes how the book is written mm. but i think for the better is the princess bride oh. because there is an entire story within a story within the story that's not in the movie yeah and i think that would be very difficult to portray in a movie so i think them taking it and simplifying it to this is just the grandfather telling the story to his grandson, and then showing the story, I think served the movie really well because it's easier for people to grab onto. um, It's easier for people to quote lines from the fantasy story that's in the movie. And I think if you had muddied the waters by including all the other stuff that's in the book, uh, it would have lost people because it's just, it's not convoluted, but it is, it's just a different kind of experience reading the book if you've never read the book you should because there's like a whole other plot line happening in the book that you you don't see in the movie at all uh but i think they made the right choice when they did that
0: yeah that's interesting have you read the book lauren i have not i i i did a a long time ago and if i remember correctly there's a tonal difference too yeah the book is a lot scarier if i remember correctly and there's
1: like there's a whole story in the book about the author like talking about the book and then it's talking about someone reading the book to someone and then it's talking about the actual fantasy stories there's like this whole extra level that isn't yeah. shown in the movie at all
0: the the have you seen the movie the words either of you guys seen the movie The yes, Words? I
1: have. that's
0: one that did the same thing there's like an upper level story and then a secondary story and then they're reading a story. It's, it it's, it's one level too much. I think, I think that's, that's true. Like when you start getting to third level stories, unless this is inception and it's being directed by Christopher <laughs> Nolan, <laughs> um, most directors cannot pull that off.
3: <laughs> I don't think I knew the words was a book.
0: I don't know if it is or not. I just, oh. I, that popped into my head because it is a okay. three level story yeah, yeah. where, where yeah. you're telling you're telling the story within a story within a story yeah yeah so was that yours or or uh yeah okay lauren this will be the last round by the way so so choose wisely
3: okay so my next one i love young adult um Mm. fiction and i love john green so fault in our stars is another one of my favorites Um, and another one that i was like this is gonna be done well Um, but it was i thought chanelaine woodley was a really good um casting for hazel and I thought Ansel Elgort was really good for Augustus. Um, I love the soundtrack. Um, they stuck with the plot. They There's a lot of like really great lines in the book that were in the movie as well. So yeah, it's just really well done.
1: Excellent. John Green is my homie.
3: Oh, um, great.
1: If, you, if you have not listened to his podcast the anthropocene reviewed you should do that immediately i'm because, actually reading
3: the book right now
1: yeah he basically like just he goes through two or three things every episode and rates them on a scale yeah. To one. <laughs> yeah <laughs> about how how effective they are in relation to the world which is awesome and yeah. um if you don't know john green is also like a believer but he is also someone who constantly is looking at and like I, he's examining his faith which is a cool thing to me because it's not an easy thing to do mm-hmm. and I actually um this might be like the coolest thing that's ever happened to me in my life but he actually replied to one of my reddit comments once oh. <laughs> I mean, so like John Green's my favorite yeah <laughs> and I this is not a movie uh but I would also recommend reading his book Turtles All the Way Down I'd recommend like, reading all of his books, but that book yeah. in particular is one I really, really like. Hmm. Yeah, all of his are great.
0: I have actually, I've seen several movies based on John Green books. I have never actually read a John Green book.
1: Yeah, he is a fantastic author. Yes.
3: Hmm. Okay. Yep, one of my
1: I would say the hallmark of his writing, which I think translates pretty well into his movies, is that he has an ability to write people's voices the way they would actually talk, which is not the easiest thing to do, especially when you're dealing with like a young adult yeah. um, characters. But he, yeah. when you write it, it just feels authentic. Like it just yeah. feels like, yes, this person would actually talk like this. I believe this.
0: Hmm. Yeah, nice. Uh, so my last one is one that we've talked about a number of times and that's uh, the girl with the dragon tattoo. And I'm specifically referring here to the American version of the film. The American version of the film sticks so much closer to the actual book than does the Swedish version, which is kind of ironic considering Stieg Larsson is Swedish. So you would think if anyone was going to stick closer, it'd be the Swedish version. But no, it isn't actually. I'm, I'm currently watching the Swedish version again. And they change a lot of stuff unnecessarily. Um, in particular, they change, the Swedish version changes who figures out the code, the, the biblical code. It changes how the characters meet. I mean, how the characters meet is one of the key things in the story, and they change how the characters come come to meet each other. And there was really no particular reason for it. Um, so the American version actually does a, a really, really good job of conveying the story almost exactly as it unfolds, and on top of which, I think the the character interactions in that movie, especially between Rooney Mara and um, oh, Daniel Craig, uh, I I think that really really captures the essence of the characters and and how the two of them interacted in the books, and kind of that sort of chemistry but not chemistry thing that they had going on uh the whole time but i think it and it didn't shy away from being brutal where the book was brutal which is hard to do and and the swedish version definitely didn't take it as far which you could say from a from a from a I having to watch that standpoint, I mean, there's there's some value in saying, okay, we'll cut that back a little bit. Um, but from an artistic standpoint of saying, okay, we're gonna show it how it is, how the book conveyed it. It did a great job of conveying that. So you can decide which which is your preference in terms of a watcher. Uh, but I think it really did a great job sticking to what the actual written material was.
1: I would say honorable mention to what you just referenced uh, another one i think of when you say that it's hard to portray brutality on screen would be fight club mm. because that book is absolutely oh <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's a lot and a lot. they they were able to, like you said they're able to kind of cut some of the things out of it to make it palatable enough for a movie but still have the movie be pretty brutal but I think a lot of people because they did that missed what the book was actually saying which is like the people in this book are not living the life that you the way you want to live it yes (laughs) yeah (laughs) this is not an ideal to live up to this is bad (laughs) which the book does a better job of having come across I think yeah (laughs) but maybe it's just because you know Brad Pitt's, a hottie, I don't
0: know. <laughs> 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 All right, so we'll close out by giving Lauren the last, uh, the, last, the last word, and I believe you have one that is going to be a film adaptation that you are looking forward to.
3: So I'm looking forward to, um, it's called uh, Nothing to See Here. Um, I'm not sure when they're making it a movie, but it was done by the same people that did Fault in Our Stars. Hmm. so um it was just this really quirky story um really different and i'm really excited to see what they do with it to bring it on the screen awesome.
1: that is an interesting point that like I, I really like to read just to read too and yeah when you're reading and you're like oh i really hope they make a movie out of this book
3: <laughs>
2: yeah
1: i just i just read a book called anxious people by frederick bachman and i oh, like,
3: oh he's one of my favorites i
1: was like i want to see this as a movie real bad
3: yeah, that would be a really great one to make into a
0: movie. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I thought when I when I read Ready Player One, and then the movie came. Mm. So yeah. that's what a, about a billion people have
1: been thinking about a little book called Dune.
0: That's going to be know. a movie pretty soon. It's coming. <laughs> it's coming. Uh. <laughs> I have much more faith in Dennis Villanueva, though. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> all right well thanks for joining us lauren we appreciate yeah, your, uh, your talk yeah hopefully
1: we have a chance to have further discussions in the future
3: yeah sounds good all right
0: we'll catch you next time
3: all right bye
0: bye now let's go to our watch list these are movies that we that we have watched over the past week where we give you a quick recap and our thoughts on it. Rob, why don't you go first? What did you watch this week?
1: So I started a new job this week. And as such, I'm not going to the theater, which I was bummed about, because there's, like Ryan said, there are several movies in the theater that I want to watch. So I'm going to have to make time for that this next week. Um, But on vacation, uh, we watched A Quiet Place, the first one. Mm. And I really enjoyed that. We watched it. one of the nights we were away on vacation, uh, my sister and her husband and my wife and I watched it together. And I just love how that movie holds tension throughout because we expect when nothing is happening and there's quiet for something bad to happen. Mm-hmm. That movie just holds that and holds that throughout. And the intro is great how it's just quiet, quiet, quiet. And then all of a sudden there's noise and then all hell breaks loose. Um, uh, I I just think uh, John Krasinski did a fantastic job with that movie, as well as the second, but we only watched the first one um, last weekend. And I have have not watched this week, but I'm watching tomorrow, so it's kind of cheating. Uh, I'm going to uh, movies in the park thing and watching Smallfoot tomorrow, speaking of uh, some other Famous people who are in that LeBron James in that movie, <laughs> but uh, that movie is a really well done animated feature about what would happen if basically Yetis, among Will came across humans who they think are not real and are uh fiction like we think Yetis are. <laughs> and it's called Smallfoot because that's what they call humans because they're not Bigfoot, they're Smallfoot, and it's funny, it has good music throughout it. Some really interesting different takes on music. And there's uh, a parody of Under Pressure, which I absolutely love in the movie. So if maybe you can just search that up on YouTube, find it by itself, Under Pressure Parody for Smallfoot. If you don't want to watch the whole movie, watch that because it's really funny. <laughs> um, uh, so I recommend that. We're going to be seeing that with friends and going to uh, enjoy some food from food trucks while we watch movies. So that'll be good.
0: Very nice. Excellent. Uh, For me this week, I watched movies, and I will say the theme for these movies was at least some level of disappointment. (laughs) (laughs) So I'll start with the most disappointing one I watched. 2004 movie, Twisted. Uh, This stars uh, um, Garcia, Well, I am Andy Garcia, Andy Garcia. And um, why do I do this? Where I just like blank out on actresses, (laughs) Ashley Judd. (laughs) And it's not a good movie. It just is not a good movie. I'd wondered why it's a type of movie that I like. And I wonder, oh, why had I not seen this movie before? And there was a reason why I hadn't seen this movie before. Um, the characters are extremely stereotypical, especially uh, Ashley Judd's character, who's like the only female in the movie, and she's just a sex crazed lunatic. And it's it's just so it's it's so stereotypical. It's it's ridiculous. Um, her relationship with Andy Garcia in the movie is bizarre and oddly creepy and it doesn't make any sense and the plot is just mangled. And, and so uh, yeah, it's not good. <laughs> so d- twi- if, if you're, if we're coming up with the anti-watch list, twist it. Anti-watch. The watch list. So it's, it's just not that good. It's not a good movie. Um, if you want to see it to, to judge for yourself, have at it. It's on, I want to say it's on Hulu. But yeah, not great. Um, the next one is Mission Impossible Fallout. Now, well, overall, I, I really like Mission Impossible Fallout. Um, it's the newest one from the Mission Impossible series. The one thing I I would say still gets me every single time. I don't like the helicopter scene at the end. I really don't like the helicopter scene. I think it just pushes the bounds of being too unrealistic. Um. Normally Chris McQuarrie I think is a fantastic director and does an awesome job of integrating things. And the one thing the Mission Impossible I thought has done is it's been significantly more grounded than say some of the Bond movies are. And while they have, while it's a little bit implausible and while they push the bounds on technology, they are significantly more grounded in reality but i thought the helicopter scene where he goes and chases down a helicopter gets in a helicopter it's not the right helicopter then he has to basically attempt to wreck the other helicopter and then all the all the falling and you know helicopter crashes and everything like that it just it just pushed me it just pushed me over the edge a little bit that i just feel like it went too far with its adaptation You've seen it, right? Yeah. What What did you think about that scene?
1: Yeah, I would say that I felt somewhat the same way. I know that he did like a lot of practical work on the stunt, which yeah. is impressive, but it doesn't necessarily mean that like it was realistic looking <laughs> in the final product.
0: Yeah, it felt much more like something you'd see in a Fast and Furious movie or one of the '90s Bond movies um, than than I thought was appropriate for that, for for these particular movies. So also, and then the last one I saw was Jungle Cruise. I got a chance to see that this week. Overall, I liked the film. And since I know you haven't seen it, I will uh, will refrain from giving major spoilers. Uh, One thing I will say is there were some moment, we've compared it to the Pirates of the Caribbean series. Um, there are some fantasy elements, in particular in Dead Man's Chest from the Pirates series, that I was not a particular fan of. Um, some, of some of the more fantastical elements of there, both visually and storytelling-wise. Um, Jungle Cruise carried over a few of those type of things to the, to the movie that I didn't particularly care for. Uh, but there were some cool scenes. The interaction between Emily Blunt and Dwayne the Rock Johnson, I thought was was good. And I thought the characters, I thought those characters were well developed. Um, there were just some, just a few things in that movie that just tweaked me a little bit that I didn't. I I had a, I had high expectations for it because I thought it was going to be a grand, a really grand adventure. Um, and while it was still a a good movie a good solid movie and definitely worth seeing it didn't quite live up to my expectations okay you got anything else on that before we wrap up i do not all right we'll wrap up today with our um our recommendations and so we will recommend yet another movie to book adaptation however one that we have not mentioned so far all right. So, Rob, what do you got? I'm going to
1: recommend two that are very different from one. Like, okay, as different as they could be possibly be from one another. Um, the first is uh, based on a book written about the Civil War, and it is The Red Badge of Courage, and mm. I'm recommending the black and white 1951 version of the movie. There is an in-color 1974 version of the movie also, um, but I would recommend the black and white one, and this is purely recommendation based on storytelling because a black and white movie from 1951 is not going to have a whole lot of like special effects and set pieces and mm. major things to catch your eye.
2: Yeah. On
1: the ex- exact opposite end of the spectrum, uh, I'm going to recommend a movie based on the graphic novel Watchmen mm. because for a long time, people said that they, you, it would be impossible to make a movie out of this graphic novel and people waited and waited and waited and said it can never be done and it is not perfect and there are slight differences with the graphic novel and the final version but i think visually it's stunning and i think that they did a really good job with casting and to the tone of the book and just the hopelessness and despair of um society when there are no rules basically who watches the watchman is the catchphrase from the book and the movie. And I would recommend it. Um, uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan. That's his name. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, mm-hmm. Plays the character of the comedian in the movie. And I think he's fantastic and really brings the character from the book to life. So I'd recommend watching the watchman.
0: Okay. And I will recommend two uh, as well. I will do Girl on a Train. Uh, The book was by Paula Hawkins. The movie stars Emily Blunt. And I always like Emily Blunt. And I thought it was an interesting and compelling story. And I think they did a reasonable job of emulating that in movie fashion. I will also recommend the 1990 Mel Gibson version of Hamlet,
2: hmm.
0: obviously based on the Shakespeare uh, tragedy. I thought uh, this adaptation uh, isn't one of those where they were doing this thing where they're like partially modern, partially old school that was really popular in the mid to late 90s. Uh, this one is attempt to stick straight into the period piece, uh, hold straight to the to the actual, uh, Book with the actual language, and I thought they did a, a very good job of it. It's 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 quite compelling. I know not everyone's into Shakespeare, but check out nineteen nineties Hamlet.
1: And I'm I'm very partial to the Kenneth Branagh version of Hamlet, mm. so watch that one too.
0: Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. Well, that is all the time we have for you on Film for Fans. Um, take a moment, rate, subscribe, and share with your friends. We'd love to have you. Until next time, enjoy the movies.